challenging to move to a new city. It was three years ago this weekend that my wife and I packed up all our things, put them in a truck, and drove from Sacramento here to the San Francisco Bay Area. And in the course of those three years, the two of us have changed jobs a couple times. We've moved three different times. And we had our first child, all in the midst of those three years. It's a lot of really big changes. And it's only been until just recently that San Francisco has begun to feel like home. Now, anytime anyone moves from one place to the next, there are a lot of changes uh, that occur. And some of them are, are a little bit more of minor adjustments, but we all have to make them. So, for instance, uh, most of us, when we move, we move for work. So we, we land in our new job, and we have to figure out um, who are these new coworkers that I'm going to be working with, and how can we relate um, in, in healthy ways, and how do we move uh, towards the goals of the organization? Those are all questions that come um, at a new job with new coworkers. Uh, something else that I was reminded of uh, from a good friend of mine is that when you move to a different city, it's, it's a really good idea to make sure that you have an emergency contact who's local. Somebody that you can call just in case something goes wrong. And one more thing to, to consider as, as you move from one city uh, to the next that can really be experienced here in San Francisco is you get the opportunity to adjust to brand new weather patterns. <laughs> and that's really felt here, right? Because there, there are places in the city that are sunny all the time, or most of the time, and there are places in the city that rarely see sun. And sometimes we call them the sunset. And sometimes it could be called the sunless section. It's really interesting. You can drive you know, just a couple miles and, and find sun. So there, there are all these kind of patterns, these new adjustments that happen whenever we move from one city to the next. And some of you, I know, are experiencing some of these changes because you're newer to the San Francisco area. And some of you, actually, I know that you're looking ahead to a move away from the San Francisco area. And you'll be experiencing some of these changes wherever it is that you find yourself next. And this is actually a pretty common experience, this kind of moving experience. A study was done just a, just a few years back that revealed that the average stay of a San Francisco resident was just three years. That's it. And this makes San Francisco one of the most transient cities in the world. And San Francisco is often thought of and experienced as a temporary assignment. Now, something that happens when you move from one city uh, to the next is, is that there, there's a loss that you need to deal with. And it's a loss of a sense of familiarity that you had at the place that you moved from. And that can be really tough. And I think any time we move from one city to the next or one area to the next, um, our desire for a sense of home, and what I mean by a sense of home is just not just the familiarity of it, but there's a sense of security that comes from home, and even a sense of, of restfulness that comes from home, our desire for that becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, I know some of you have lived in the San Francisco area your whole life. And for you, I would imagine just the thought 
of having to be new somewhere else only makes you a little uneasy. Well, wherever you're at this afternoon in terms of having some kind of tension around either being new or the prospect of being new, I want to invite you to embrace that tension a little bit more and explore with me what God might have to say to us, not only as individuals, but as a community of people that are longing for a sense of home. The scripture that we're going to look at this morning in your handout is from uh, the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a book in the, is a book in the Older Testament. And Jeremiah, uh, is, he's a prophet. So a prophet, his main role, his main function uh, was to deliver uh, a word to the people from God. So it served as sort of a spokesperson uh, for God. And prophets often um, spoke very encouraging things, but also very challenging things. And here with Jeremiah, we're going to see some very challenging things and some very encouraging things. But, they, but I think they're actually very appropriate to where this people group finds themselves. And I think there's actually a lot of stuff in the scripture that can be directly applied uh, to our current situation right here, right now. So let's look at the, the scripture from Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. It reads this way. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, right away in this section, we have a pretty important word to consider. And that word is exile. And exile is is a forced absence. Now, this, this people group, they had, been, they had been forced from their home in Jerusalem. And actually, they, they had been forced from there into this unknown place, this unfamiliar place of Babylon. And this would be hard for a number of reasons. But some of the reasons would be that in Jerusalem, this people group really, they, they felt, they had a sense that God's presence was in that place. And everything about it reminded them that God was there, he was living, he was active, he was there. But they've been taken, they've been forced out of this place into Babylon where the sights, the sounds, the smells would all remind them that they were a long ways from home. And I can imagine some of them wondering, could God possibly be in this place? Has God abandoned us? How much longer are we going to have to stay here? So I can imagine there being all kinds of tension from being in this really unfamiliar setting of Babylon. Not to mention just the pain that comes with a forced absence, something that shows them. That's hard. But God has a really important perspective shift to offer them that's actually found in, in verse 4 too. Because he says that this is a letter to all those I carried. To all those I carried into exile. As if to communicate or remind this people group that actually I'm in this move. I've carried you here. I haven't left you. I haven't abandoned you. And if you look for me, you can find me. And I think that's a, that's a good word immediately for us in thinking, you know, there, there are times, there are, there are places that we move into that are unfamiliar, that can be painful, 
that I, I think we can, we can feel like God has left me. He isn't in this. Where we need to be reminded, we need to have our perspective shifted to, no, God is in this and has carried us here. And we need to look for him while we're here. And God has a very specific um, way that he wants the people to respond and some kind of some instructions that he offers uh, to them through Jeremiah as we continue to read, picking up in verse 5, it says this. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Now verse 5 contains... Uh, a couple kind of really specific instructions about, you know, building houses, settling down, uh, planting a garden, and uh, eating what it, what it produces. And, and both of those things uh, seem to indicate that they need to make this their home. It may, it may not feel like it. It may be really hard to be relocated to this place, but build houses and settle down is saying, you guys are, you guys are here now. Make this your home. And both of these things actually um, are very much in line with the kind of regular rhythm of life that this people group would have experienced in Jerusalem. So they had this regular rhythm of ceremonies and dedications in which they would honor God for the things that he had provided for them. And one such dedication was the dedication of a home. So you would, you would build a house and you would say, God, thank you for providing this home for us. We invite you into this place. And another one still was, was the ceremony um, or even, even a festival, um, you could say, uh, the festival of the, of the first fruit. So it involved when you planted a garden and it produced a fruit, you would give the first fruits of that garden back to God and say, God, you have provided this food for us. We're going to give you our best in return as a way of saying, we honor you, but we thank you for providing it for us. So building houses and planting gardens, these things are part of their regular rhythm of life and part of a regular rhythm of life that was honoring to God. And I think God is saying here, honor me in this place that you find yourself. Don't pull back. Don't disengage. Continue to carry out your regular rhythm of life so that I will be honored, so that you will remember that I am here but it's not just for you. Honor me in this place to so the people around you who you may really want to pull back from and don't want to associate with at all. They'll know something about me by the way that you honor me. The way that you live in this place that feels unfamiliar matters. It matters because it will reveal something about who I am. So don't pull back. Don't disengage. Engage, continue to honor me. Verse 6 has a lot of words about family and, and getting married and having kids and then having kids have kids and um, as if to suggest to them, actually, you guys are going to be here for a while. Plant these, plant these gardens, build these houses, and go ahead and push forward with those relationships that you've been thinking about, but maybe you're a little hesitant because you didn't know how long you were going to be here. And for them... Thinking about getting married and having kids and having kids have kids seems to suggest that some of them are going to become grandparents in this place. So they're going to be there for a while. And actually, come to find out, they were going to be there for 70 years 
probably a lot longer than they expected. But the important words around that is to, to increase, don't decrease. Invest in these key relationships while you're in this place that feels really unfamiliar. Because if you invest in these key relationships, that's going to sustain your stay. That's going to make it feel like home. And there's something tied into the relational aspect that would reveal something about who God is too, to the people around you. So increase, do not decrease is the word here. And then continuing, there's more. There's more in verse 7. And verse 7 reads, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, the terms peace and prosperity come from the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is really more of a, more of a concept of wholeness. It's it's the presence of everything being made right. It's, it's the way that things should be, the way that they were originally intended to be. So there's an invitation to this people, this people group, to seek the shalom, the wholeness of this place. Seek it within uh, the relationships that they're in, but also seek it in the place that they find themselves, this unfamiliar place. Seek to make things right, because when this place does well, You'll do well. Your good is tied into the good of this community. Seek the peace and prosperity, the shalom, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, there are, there's a lot going on in this text. And the reason we spent some time kind of exploring it is because I think there's some really important words of both encouragement and challenge uh, to to the places where we find ourselves that feel unfamiliar. And I know that for a lot of us, there are unfamiliar places, unfamiliar territory in our lives. And those can be uh, places of, uh, in relationship that just, they're, they're, they feel unfamiliar. And there's, there's tension there because it's, it's unknown territory. There can also be a sense of, you know, my career was going this way. And then something happened and shifted it, and now I'm in unfamiliar territory, and what am I going to do? And I think God wants to say, listen, in those unfamiliar places, you can find me. And I think there are actually unique things that God can teach us in unfamiliar places. And so I want to encourage, encourage you in some ways that this, these people were encouraged in the places of unfamiliarity. So the first encouragement is this. In places of unfamiliarity, to live with open hands. And what I mean by living with open hands is it's, this is a posture, but it's also a, a perspective. When you live with open hands, you are saying that you have the ability to receive what God is doing right in front of you. And that can be really hard because we often get distracted by all the stuff over here, and all the stuff over here, and all the things that communicate that it can be chaotic. But living with open hands says, God, what is it that you're doing right now? And let me be able to receive it. And there's a big difference between living with open hands and living with clenched fists. Because when we're living with clenched fists, we are holding on to the shoulds of life. 
We're holding on to our assumptions and our expectations about what life should be. And we're saying, this should have happened. This should have happened by now, and there's no way that this should have happened to me. And we're clenching it so tight that we can't open up our hands and actually see what is it that God is doing right now. Something else about uh, the posture of living with open hands is it's actually a biblical posture of of prayer to to stand and have your hands open and it, it communicates, God, I'm ready to receive something from you. C.S. Lewis is a a famous author, famous uh, philosopher, brilliant, brilliant mind. And one day, uh, his colleagues, some some of his colleagues, professors, were giving him a hard time about uh, going to a prayer meeting. They found out that he was going to pray, and they they thought, well, let's give give old Clive a hard time. And so they were saying, you know, what's, what's the deal? Why are you going to this prayer meeting? You're an intelligent guy. What are you trying to, like, manipulate God into into getting what you want and and just giving him a really hard time. And he had a really profound response to them. And we're going to put it up on the board. This is what he said in response. He said, I pray. You guys want to know why I pray? I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. There's something about prayer that has the power to shift our perspective that allows us to open up our hands and say, God, what is it that you're doing right now? Help me to see you. And a community is vital to that experience. Because a community, when you're really having a hard time opening up your hands to receive what God has from you, a community can say, I think God is doing this this in your life. We need to follow up on that. We need to pray into that. We need to let go of some of those shoulds and receive what God has for you right now. To live with open hands. Second encouragement that is, is here that Jeremiah is offering the people, and second encouragement that I think really applies to us too, is the, the encouragement to invest in relationships. But what I want to say about that starting there is, is that in, investing in a relationship needs to start with the key relationships in your immediate context. Whether those are people in your family, people in uh, roommates, housemates, coworkers, the people that you see all of the time. Because these are the people that, that God has put into your life to care for. And so these things take t- relationships take time, they're hard work, they take energy, but they are worth it for us to invest in these places and to care for one another. InterVarsity taught me the value of investing in relationships. And InterVarsity is deeply committed uh, to walking alongside of college students uh, during a really key period of their life and helping students to discover, realize, uh, what is their part in God's story. So my first semester 
working with InterVarsity at San Francisco State, there was a, a freshman in my small group Bible study named Caleb. And Caleb was a, a consistent member, um, and since he was so consistent, I decided, you know, you're, you're, you're showing a lot of initiative here. I'm going to respond to your initiative and spend some time with you and get to know you a little bit more. And I found out in the process of hanging out with Caleb that, that he was actually a, a local kid, somebody who lived here in San Francisco and went to school and still lived at home and things like that. And so um, something that I really enjoy doing uh, with students that are, are still living at home and they're around the campus is, is I would love to go home with them and meet their families because it just gives you a much bigger picture of who the student is because you get to see them interact with their families and kind of get to see the influence of their parents on them and things like that. And it's a good way for, for me to get to know them and them to get to know me if their student's going to be spending a lot of time with me, things like that. So, so I, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Caleb's parents. And come to find out, Caleb's parents were Pastor Terry and Cheryl. <laughs> Which was quite a pleasant surprise uh, for my wife and I because we had been attending Cornerstone uh, since we landed in San Francisco. <laughs> and we thought, well, oh, wow, okay, this, this, is, this is cool. And, uh, and, um, so, and I was very much at a time uh, in my experience in leadership where um, I, was, I was new. I had just recently moved uh, from Sacramento to San Francisco, transferred campuses, and, and uh, was, was really in need of, of somebody who had much more experience in doing ministry in San Francisco. Uh, just, just to hear a little bit about what, what does it look like? What does it feel like, particularly at the campus? Um, and and there, were, there were definitely things that I, I needed to learn as I made the adjustment. And, and so I mustered up the courage to, to ask Pastor Terry for, for, his, for his time to see if he'd be willing to do that. And, uh, and, and he was. And over the next couple of years, uh, Pastor Terry and I uh, met, you know, occasionally just to, just to talk about uh, ministry in San Francisco and life stage things and uh, we would also talk about the kind of bats the Giants would need in order to make a push in the Western Division. And, and that, was, that was fun. And they were always really rich times uh, for us to get together and meet and, and just talk about life and ministry and, and things like that. And uh, It was in the course of those conversations that I really began to realize that I was heading into a, a pretty big uh, life transition and, and a potential job change. And um, come to find out at the same time that, that Cornerstone had, had some needs. And it, it really seemed like a, a match was happening. And so after a few more conversations with members of our, our staff here, I, I was offered a position on pastoral staff that, that I accepted. And, and I, I just need to say this morning to, to you, Cornerstone Church, thank you. Thank you to so many of you that have opened up uh, your, your lives and told your stories to me and my family and welcoming us in. You are what makes San Francisco feel like home to us. You know, I've been thinking about what it means to invest in relationships a little bit more because we've been talking about uh, community the last couple weeks at our, at our weekend services and, and thinking about some different contexts where people experience uh, community, or maybe they don't experience it as well. And, and, and the, two con the two contexts that I, I thought of were uh, going and working out at the gym uh, and what happens when people go to physical therapy rehab. Uh, so I uh, have been known to go to the gym 
occasionally. I mean, obviously, right? Uh, so anyway, so I, I go to the gym, and um, the first thing I notice when I get in the gym is there's just there's mirrors everywhere. They're all over the place. And everyone's working out really hard and breaking a sweat and pumping iron and just going for it. And um, nobody's really talking to each other. Maybe they check in from time to time, but nobody really talks to each other. They're just kind of in their own world, doing their own thing. And, and, you know, with these mirrors, it really contributes to the idea that you can be in your own world in this place because you can constantly check in on your progress. Like, oh, yeah, that's working for me. Um, something else about the gym that's really interesting is that it's almost like there's built-in competition that happens at the gym. Because you have to follow the person that's working out on the machine or the bike or whatever, and, and, and you walk up next to it, and it usually uh, still contains you know, the leftovers of what was happening there before. And, and uh, you can see, in weights, and you can see what the person lifted before you. And your response can be one of two things. It can be, wow, I am so much stronger than that person. <laughs> or it can be, man, I could totally beat that person in an arm wrestling contest. And it's like a built-in comparison. Well, that's kind of my experience at the gym. Now, I was thinking about the, this other context. What, and what happens at physical therapy rehab? And um, I, I've recently made some, made some new friends that are, that are involved in physical therapy, and they, they, they rehab patients that are coming back from major injuries. And so I was asking them a little bit about what, what that's like and what are the people like in that situation. And they were sharing with me that, that uh, as a group, what happens in physical therapy is, is, is people come together to the, to the place where people are rehabbing their injuries, and everybody there knows everybody else's story. They know about their injuries. It's like, oh, you're the knee guy, and, and uh, you're the one with the shoulder, and you're trying to come back from this, and uh, you've been here a long time. And they, they just, there's, there's a sense of people are known there. And no one can really hide their injury. It's just out there. It's in, it's in front of it. It's in front of the group. But when they actually are, are going forward with their, with their work to come back and rehab, the, all the group watches and all the group cheers on the one person that's trying to get better. And when anyone makes the slightest bit of progress, the whole group celebrates. Goes, yeah, you did it. You took that step. Because the smallest victory for that one person is a huge victory for the whole group. And those small victories remind the whole group that we can get better together. And we are in this together. And that's the kind of community context that I hope just becomes pervasive in the small group ministry here at Cornerstone Church. Groups of people who know each other's stuff they're familiar enough with one another to be able to speak into it and to pray into it. They support one another and they say, you know what? You're making some progress, so I'm going to try. And anytime anyone makes the little, little bit of progress, 
the whole group celebrates it because they realize, you know what? We, by God's grace, can get better together. Small groups are a great place to meet new people, make some friends, and grow in our faith together. And right now, we, we currently have, have some needs for some leaders to step into those positions that help to create that, that kind of communal experience where people can get better together. There's an encouragement. Be encouraged to invest in relationships because when you invest in relationships in unfamiliar places, it will help to sustain your stay. It will be what makes the unfamiliar places feel like home. There's one more encouragement that I want to offer you, and it's the last one. And this encouragement is to work for wholeness. In verse 7, we have this idea of working for the wholeness of the community or seeking the shalom of the community because when you do that, you also will prosper. And that message is so, is so countercultural from the dominant narrative that says, in our culture, that says, seek your needs first and everything else you know, will kind of just fall into place. Do what you need to do to be happy, to build up your self-esteem, and all these other kinds of things, well, you know, maybe they'll fall into line and maybe they won't. This is saying, no, actually, your needs are tied into the needs of your community. And when your community does well, you will do well. Your growth individually is tied into the growth of the community. Now, there's a biblical model for a group that got this and applied it. And it's the group in Acts 2, and there's, just, there's the scripture in the handout. We're not really going to go into the scripture, but just to point out a few highlights about what characterized that group. This group, they offered hospitality to one another. They opened up their homes, and they shared meals together. They studied scripture together. And they did this all the time. They prayed for one another. They knew each other well enough to know how to pray for one another and what to pray about for the people. And they shared their resources with each other so that nobody had need. An individual need became a communal need, and it was met. Because this group, the reason why this worked is this group had caught a vision of what their eternal home was going to look like. And since their eternal home was going to look a certain way, they said, let's start living like it right now. They let their future destination influence their current situation. And this group reminds us that home, the concept of home, is much more about a network of whole relationships than it is about any temporary address. In just a few minutes, the band is going to come up and we're going to share a song uh, called In Exile, and the words are in your handout. And In Exile is written from the vantage point of somebody who is a traveler. They're traveling through life. And they're having this experience where they're feeling like, you know what, I'm, I, I, I'm not wanting to put roots down here because my ultimate home is the city that endures where all things are made new. And there's a longing for that. And I want to invite you to, to engage with this song and, and know that in these places of unfamiliarity, 
that you may be longing for that eternal destination where all things are made new, there is tremendous value in investing in relationships right now. Right now. Because these relationships will sustain your stay in whatever unfamiliar place that you find yourself. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word contains the power to encourage us and to challenge us. God, thank you that you can be experienced in the context of community. And I pray, I pray, God, that there would be more stories about people who are getting better because they have communal relationships of support and care and challenge and inspiration. And God, I, I pray that as, as we head into our, our, our time of giving where we honor you by giving back a little bit of what you've given to us, God, I pray that we would consider the ways that we can continue to honor you in the places where we find ourselves with our whole lives, God. Would we be a people who honor you so people around us can get a little bit of a feel and a little bit of a taste of who you are? We pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen.